You're listening to the Lean Six Sigma for Good podcast. We help you learn how Lean and Six Sigma concepts can be applied to nonprofits, NGOs, and not-for-profit organizations. Visit us at LeanSixSigmaForGood.com. My guest today is Janelle Zito. She is the Director of Continuous Improvement at Racine Unified School District, where she's been in that role for the last couple of months. And she's been total uh, five years at Racine. Um, she also was at Gateway Technical College, where she earned her green belt and her black belt certification. Um, so she's going to tell us about how she got into process improvement through education and some of her work at Gateway and also with the uh, Racine Unified School District. So if you know somebody who's in education and working on process improvement, this might be a great episode for them to check out. So we'll have show notes and some links to her profile and how you can contact her. Thanks for your time. Okay, welcome Janelle, Uh, really appreciate you being here. Um, Could you give us a little bit of your background and your current role? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I'm really excited to talk with everybody today about all the fun lean things that we do. Um, Yeah, my background in Lean Six Sigma started in 2015 where I got my green belt in uh, Lean Six Sigma from Gateway Technical College. Um, From there, I kind of said, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was called something. I've been doing this my whole life and now I get to uh, actually pursue it um, formally. So, um, oh, continuous improvement is an actual thing. Uh, So uh, from there, I got my MBA in 2020 and then I followed that up right away with uh, my Lean Six Sigma black belt. So that's been kind of my lean journey. My current role is the Director of Continuous Improvement and Program Evaluation with Racing Unified School District. We are a school district that sits right in between Milwaukee and Chicago. Uh, So the size is about 16,000 students. Uh, We have about 1,500 staff members. And so we are the largest employer in the county of Racine, uh, which again is kind of right in between uh, Milwaukee and Chicago. Where is Gateway located at? Yeah, that's a great question. So Gateway Technical College um, is uh, also, I form, formerly work there, still still do adjunct work for them as well. But uh, Gateway Technical College actually straddles three counties that are in southeastern Wisconsin. So it goes over Walworth, Kenosha, and Racine counties. So there are actually five locations or campuses uh, that Gateway has, um, and they it supports all three of those counties. So how did you get into the first program, your green belt? What draw you, drew you into that particular yeah. course or training? Yeah, so um, I have to completely credit my mentor, um, Kamaljeet Jackson, or I'm going to refer to her as Casey for the rest of the time. Um, but Casey is um, the woman who started up utilizing uh, the Lean Six Sigma training at Gateway Technical College for internal staff. So what she basically did was she said, well, we offer this wonderful opportunity to our manufacturing partners, and they then learn from our um, expertise uh, in the courses that we provide through our business and workforce solutions division. And we aren't capitalizing on this. That seems a little silly. Why not um, start our own internal program and get our staff trained and then begin doing project work? So I had the absolute honor and privilege of watching her start 
a lean structure within Gateway Technical College uh, as a post-secondary institution. By the way, fun fact, oldest technical college in the entire country <laughs> um, uh, oh, wow. was the first. Yep, the first. Um, and got to watch her really um, grow that program from infancy. And um, we ended up with 100% of employees being white belt trained annually. And then um, having cohorts of people apply for and get approved to do their green belt. And then a much smaller number um, maintained their black belt status there at the organization, just um, because that makes sense in the structure that she was uh, proposing. So um, there were, I believe, a total of four or five black belts at the, at the peak. Did she have some background or she just had seen it and thought it looked interesting or um, was curious yeah. about why she decided that was something to pursue or bring in? That's a great question. So um, her work really stemmed from she was a part of the Medical College of Wisconsin, um, did see some things happening there as well. Uh, but then really, it just was inspired by making sure that we took the things that we were training others on and wanted to train internally. So I think she, it sparked her interest. She went, you know, directly to the black belt route uh, and got that right away in order to then be able to um, train and mentor green belts. Did you end up doing like projects at Gateway as part of the training? Um, and then what were some of the things that were, I guess, some of the improvements that were being done there? We can, we can start with Gateway first and then kind of transition to Racine. But yeah, just curious, uh, did you have to go through a project and, and what kind of stuff were you guys working on? Yeah, yes, with many projects at Gateway um, as a green belt, as also a participant in Kaizen um, um, or rapid improvement events. Um, but I, I'd start with, you know, just discussing what kind of triggered what the black belt project that KC led um, for the other black belts that were working on their uh, project completion was our mail system. So um, as I explained before, Gateway has many campuses or locations, uh, and we had a third-party vendor delivering our mail. Uh, and it got to the point where it would be between 10 and 15 days for delivery of mail between campus locations. Exactly. Your face says it all. Um, so we, um, we took a look at things and it, it also got to the point where, you know, I would be going from the Kenosha campus to the Racine campus. And I would actually make a point to say, hey, does anyone need me to bring their mail? <laughs> so that you could speed up the process. It just, you know, it's comical now when you look back at it, but um, it really, uh, it's those types of things that really trigger the need for some somebody to take a look at these things holistically. So they did. Um, we had all kinds of fun experiments with that. We sent out, I believe it was around 2000 pieces of mail. And when you got the mail, you would fill out a form to say things like, you know, when, um, when did you receive this mail? You know, the, and then we got different responses like, oh, I was on vacation. So that might have contributed to a few days of not getting the mail. But otherwise, we were able to really track and narrow down that 10 to 15 day uh, span. 
And, um, you know, we surveyed people and said, well, what's a reasonable time to receive mail? And they said, well, about one to three days. <laughs> and so we said, yeah, we definitely um, have some work to do on improving that. So they did ride alongs with the drivers um, from the third party company, saw some different things there and ultimately proposed a solution to have two part time male employees in hired internally. Um, and it it did, in fact, fix the problem, which is excellent um, and worked out really well for the organization. I believe um, they still follow the same methods now. There were other things too, like communication and things like that and making sure that people knew where to go for the centralized mailing uh, in their department or area. So there were a lot of um, pieces to it, of course, but definitely got some great results in the reduction of cycle time, if you will, um, on, on the mail delivery. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things you highlighted there that are really key. I think one is that tracking of the data or collecting that data using just sheets or some kind of a, you know, sheet that follows along with the, the items. Um, I think that's a really simple way to gather some baseline information of how things are, are performing. And you use that in a factory before, you know, you're having people just record, okay, when did you receive this? And when did you finish it? And when did it leave your area? Um, it's not too complicated, but really powerful to then go back and look at that information and be like, why did it sit for five days here or three hours? Or um, So I think that's, um, you know, when people have that barrier of not having good data, I think those kind of simple sheets like that are, are really great. Even if you get a week's worth of data, that's a good snapshot of what's going on. Yeah, it was a great sample size. I mean, with over 2000 pieces of mail um, being tracked, that was uh, really nice. Now we didn't get responses for every single one, but for the responses we did get from that sample size, um, it was more than enough. The other thing was going to Gemba, as yes. they say, and doing that right along with drivers was key. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that was exactly it. This is going and seeing firsthand what do the people have to do and the experience they go through and the mail goes through as you're if you're acting like you're the piece of mail and you're going through this process, what does that process look like for you? So I think that's really another key thing that you guys did was uh, be able to go firsthand and see what's going on. Yeah, revealed a lot of challenges, like the fact that they would make other pit stops for other deliveries because, you know, they had other customers as well, which is totally understandable, but we could prioritize our own selves by, you know, hiring internally. Other things too, that w when you don't have an internal person doing the work or things like they would not have access to certain buildings, certain doors, um, you could say, you know, in certain secure places, even uh the access to the parking lot if uh, some companies have that as well. But, um, you know, those also were discovered, if you will, during that um, ride along um, mm -hmm. testing. Cool. Yeah, that sounds like a, a great project. And I've seen a couple of mail rooms and yeah, there's <laughs> like there's always opportunity for improvement there. <laughs> yeah, I think of 5S when I think of the mail yes. rooms, right? But um yeah, the other the the that was so that was the first project that was ever officially taken on by Gateway in terms of developing the lean program. Um but the first project or the first real Kaizen was um, uh, I was a participant in and Casey also led that. 
um, project, which uh, took a look at veterans benefits and how we um, in the student services department in the financial aid office specifically awarded veterans benefits. Now, of course, this project was prioritized and triggered because of audit findings. So you'll oftentimes see that um, when, you know, when a national organization like the VA is coming in and doing audits, and then you have some severe findings, um, that that will trigger, of course, senior leaders usually to say, we, we need to take a in-depth look at this and try to figure out how we can make it better. So um, we had multiple people. So there were over seven people um, doing the the work of um, VA processing, uh, processing VA paperwork. And what that means at a post-secondary institution is that you have students who come in and utilize their VA or veterans benefits in order to attend college. So um, it helps pay for their their schooling. You may have heard of things like post 9-11 GI Bill um, or the Montgomery GI Bill. Those terms are all what are referred to for the veterans benefits as it relates to attending uh, college or university. Okay. So we um, we took a look at why we were having findings and what um, what could be done. We ended up in 2014 having 36 um, severe or major findings um, by 20. I said 2015, right? I can't remember. I in I, I believe that <laughs> I think that was in 2015, and then by 2016, uh, I believe the fall of 2016, after we had implemented the changes from the Kaizen, we were down to only one severe finding. And of course, the goal would be none, um, but from 36 down to one is a huge reduction in our, um, you know, out of compliance. Uh, processes. So um, standard operating procedures were a huge uh, component of that project. So developing and writing those standard operating procedures, I was a, a main person who did that as a result of being a participant in the Kaizen event. And I can tell you, it definitely revolutionized the um, the, the department because we finally had a standardized way for all seven people to do the work and make sure that everyone was doing the same things and the student didn't get a different answer if they went to like I had referenced before the Kenosha campus versus the Racine campus or something like that. So those, those pieces were really crucial. Um, it evolved even from 2016 um, down to um, reorganizing the department and making it so that only one or two people were actually going to be doing those processing um, pieces. So that reduces variation even more than because you don't have seven different people doing it. Um, you only have one or two. So I know they did move in that direction as well. Um, and then they just redistributed what the duties were for the other folks. They had to pick up basically what the other people were doing. So there wasn't a, a reduction in force or anything like that. It was just a redistribution of duties. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was wondering, because sometimes that does um, work out nicely that the quality gets better with some standardization, and then it streamlines the process too and frees up resources. And yeah, hopefully that's a good sign that just redeployed people and didn't say, oh, here's an opportunity to cut costs and 
Yeah. Yeah. It was more like, okay, they're processing. These two are processing veterans benefits all the time now. So who's going to answer all their phone calls and meet with all their students. So <laughs> it's just that redistribution work, which thankfully, um, you know, made the experience for our veterans so much better. And I mean, what, you know, what better service could we give to our service men and women, uh, than making sure that they get their VA benefits processed in a timely manner and accurately. So that was really our ultimate end goal. Because it's not just the finding from the VA, it's actually a maybe customer experience problem yes. for the students coming in, the veterans coming into school, that they're waiting on something to get paid or they have to call a couple of times. So yeah, I think that sounds like it's uh, more than just the findings, it's really the benefits from that. Yeah. And I probably should have mentioned a severe finding also meant that it was impacting the student in some way. So that's um, that because of that, it makes it more severe that money would either need to be returned or reissued or given back or something like that. So definitely wanted to make that experience a lot better for our service members. And the VA doesn't have to spend as much time looking over your processes and it may be in the future because they see that it's working better. It's more smoother. They can go focus on other things. So. Yes. Or at the very least, we don't have to make their auditors work as hard. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Or they don't have to spend as much time there or come yep. as often or exactly. um, take up your team's time too. So exactly. Yeah. I think there's all these other additional benefits that can come with it. When you really step back and look at the big picture, it's pretty powerful. Exactly. And then my Greenbelt project there at Gateway Technical College was taking a look at our student information systems training. Um, so we um, kind of surveyed staff, asked them what they would really like to see out of a training for our SIS or our student information system. Um, there wasn't any holistic training before um, the project. So um, again, standard operating procedures became a big um, outcome or uh, finding that we had from working on that project. Uh, we also implemented uh, like a universal um, repository or database for being able to store those trainings and have making sure that everyone had access to it that needed it and making sure that was really convenient and easy for people to find. Um, but Gateway has about 600 staff that are uh, full-time about 100 to 150, usually it varies a little bit, are in student services. And most of those student services members um, then deal with our student information system on a regular daily basis, are in it all the time. And so it was really important that we have, you know, numbers like that of people uh, trained well on the system and making sure that they have access to um, standard operating procedures, just things to make their lives easier in terms of, okay, what does this acronym mean? I have to go to what screen? It's called STAT. Why is it, why is it called STAT? And what does that mean? And what, what can I find there without knowing, without, you know, being trained um, by somebody, which um, we found that that was obviously how most people learned is that they had hours and hours of training informally from somebody that uh, they work with directly, right? Somebody who does their position as well. Um, so we'd have to spend time training that person, but there was no, vi no videos. There were no standard operating procedures they could read through. So ultimately we saw soft cost savings 
um, uh, it totaled about $200,000 when we quantified people's salaries and time um, annually for um, the training that would need to happen for any new staff members or onboarding. Did you end up using any Kaizen events during that, or did you just kind of chip away at that one over a series of weeks and months? Yeah, we chipped away at that. We um, It took about a year for that project. So um, we met with department heads, 30, over 36 department heads in different areas all across the organization, just asked them, you know, what do you do in the student information system? And do you have documentation for that? <laughs> so we, we saw that the data showed that, you know, they might have 10 different things that they do in the SIS, but they've only documented one or they have none, was, which was often the case, no documentation for it. So then it was working individually with those department leads to make sure that they were um, beginning that process and working with their employees on starting a standard operating procedure repository where they would be. And we gave them a template. Um, we kind of orchestrated a system for the storage, the editing, the um, like a, a, a schedule by which they could follow for compliance in order to continuously improve and revise their standard operating procedures. Uh, and then a place for also that to be shared with the rest of the organization, as long as it didn't involve any kind of private information, like payroll couldn't tell us all their processes or have that stored in a, in a visible place. But many of the things uh, were things that many people need to access and do anyway. So we kind of had to work through those minor issues. But um, for the most part, we, we had a lot of storage that then helped many, many more people. Did, the, did each group have to come up with their own like um, activity to put all this together? Or was there a team that went around and kind of helped them put together the documentation or videos? Um. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So the Greenbelt team was just myself and another one other person. Um, and we did go around and help as much as we possibly could. We were allowed because we were working on our Greenbelt internally with the organization. We were allowed to devote hours of our regular work time, our salaried work time to our Greenbelt project. So yes, we did help. Um, we did train people on video recording software at that time. You know, it was still new. We didn't have Zoom uh, or it wasn't as popular, I would say, at, in 2015, 2016 when we were rolling this out. Um, but uh, the the kind of screen capture and the training on that was was definitely something new for a lot of people and being able to screencast and show what they're clicking on and when they're clicking on it. Um, those were definitely newer concepts for the majority of the workforce. So we definitely needed training um, to be provided to people. And that's really only a, a most of the time, if they wanted to go that extra mile, I find it so much easier because then you don't have to write up everything. You could just click, click, click and, and show somebody how you did it. Uh, but a lot of people also really heavily relied on having that paper documentation, which is important as well. But um, video documentation, I think, is uh, something that we all need to explore a lot more. And what, so what was your role at that time that you were able to do some of these projects or work or, or is this just like a little bit of your time was allocated out from your other role or were you in improvement work at the time? No. Yeah. I was a student finance specialist. So that's why I was in really heavily involved with that first Kaizen 
Um, and so what Casey had developed was a contract system. So we, we as Greenbelt signed a contract and then our our direct supervisor also signed that contract just to note that we would be spending some of our regular, like I said, salaried hours uh, in an effort to complete our Greenbelt project. And, you know, there was a percentage or a number of hours we weren't supposed to go over in the week and things like that. But they were very flexible with us in terms of like, okay, I need 10 hours this week, but next week it's going to be easier because I have all these meetings scheduled, you know. So they were, um, they were very good and understanding about that because it was laid out in a system and a structure. So I, I'm very, very fortunate to have been there during that time when they were um, you know, really recruiting those green belts and, and working on projects systematically. Do you remember how many hours they're allocated, like five a, a week or something? Or Yeah, it was, it was very close to that. Okay. Um, and I would say that uh, it, most of the time it actually did line up. Um, but like I said, I'd have to flex it. Sometimes I would work 10 hours for, in one week, but then I would only need one or two the next week. And it would, it would all even out and work out. Um, I think some people found it challenging with their volume and their workload to do that in addition. Um, but I, I think once again, the benefits of that, that's kind of what lean is all about doing a rapid improvement project. You know, oftentimes the things that we'd hear, are, I can't be a work away from my work for three or four days or oh, heaven forbid five days. Mm. So, I mean, it's, um, it was, it's always a challenge. It's always something that seems like one more thing or is on top of everything else. But literally every Kaizen I've ever participated in or led um, or heard about, people rave after the fact and said, we should have done this years ago. Now I understand. Now I get why we do this or why we wanted to all get in a room and take a look at this. Um, it was handled, you know, so easily because we had the IT support there. We had the finance team there. We had, you know, whoever we needed in order to be able to, to get this done and um, get the results that we want. So how did you end up working with the Unified School District there? Well, her name's going to come up again. So Casey <laughs> started doing some consulting work with Racine Unified School District um, uh, through Gateway again. And um, when she was hired on there full time, I decided to follow her and um, ended up starting out in the academic office of Racine Unified School District as a project manager. Um, I found out very quickly that a project manager meant something very different in industry <laughs> than it did in education. And that um, it was a position in which people kind of threw everything that they didn't know what to do with <laughs> into one role. And, uh, and that's so I did all of the things and um, learned a lot uh, during my time as a project manager. Um, about the organization. And I think that was crucial and key in, in order for me to be in the role that I'm in now. Um, I do have an education background. I was a teacher also. Um, so I was, my bachelor's is in secondary education with an emphasis in English, which is a fancy way of saying I went to school to be a high school English teacher. <laughs> and, um, and I did do that for a while in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, as well as in Kenosha, Wisconsin, um, but then moved away from teaching. A lot of things happened in Wisconsin. Um, they're actually talking about them now, Act 10, um, which uh, essentially 
made it so that you, they no longer recognize unions here in the state. Um, so the teachers unions took a big hit at that time. We also had the 2008, 2009, 2010 financial unrest, which meant that a lot of teachers weren't retiring. Um, so it was kind of an icky time to be a brand new teacher in the education world in Wisconsin. So um, I moved away from uh, teaching in the secondary or um, K through 12 arena. And then I uh, relied or fell back on my uh, work study job that I had when I was in college in the financial aid office and decided to work for post-secondary and do financial aid. And that's how I ended up at Gateway. So going back into the K-12 arena was something I never thought I would do. But once I, once I, got my hands on this Lean Six Sigma and process improvement um, stuff, if you will, I, I knew I was never going to turn back from that. And I thought, gosh, K-12 education could really use some of this or all of this, and they could use it now. So <laughs> whatever I can do to do that. And, and so, um, so that's why I, that's why I left. And that's why I followed Casey over to RUSD. Now she got a wonderful opportunity um, while she was here at RUSD. Um, so she left for uh, another nonprofit organization called WIBIC in Milwaukee. And she is now the VP there and very, very excited for her in that role. So the role that I'm in now is very similar to the role that she held here at Racine Unified. Um, it's not the exact same, but it's very similar. Um, so it's kind of my dream job. Um, I'm a really lucky person. Uh, and I get to, uh, you know, people ask, well, what do you do? <laughs> and I, I, I sometimes have a hard time articulating, but I think really what I do is work to change the hearts and minds of people as it relates to how we can change and do things differently. And so there's a lot of people work that needs to be done when you talk about change, um, because people don't like to be told what they need to do. They like to feel as though they're on the journey with you um, in that change. Um, nobody, I don't think it relishes in something being, you know, cascaded down onto them. Um, and so what this kind of work does is allow for you to bring people with you bring people to the table and make certain that people have a voice and that it's not lip service to them having a voice, that it's actually them being able to affect that change, participate in that change, um, or drive it even. So what are some of the challenges, I guess, that uh, the school district's working on right now? Is it around student experience? Is it around teacher satisfaction um yeah just what some what are some of the things that um i'm not i'm trying to in my head just think about uh what some of the issues might be and the, these are great questions so um covid learning loss is what you'll hear a lot uh from those in the education industry right now um but i will say that racine unified also has developed a strategic plan recently that is forecasting into the next five years and early literacy is one of the big foci. So um, 
it's our big rock, if you will, if you like to use that metaphor. And um, so we have five district goals, early literacy being one of them. So we want to really target our littlest littles in the 4K kindergarten, first and second grade to make sure that we are starting them off with success as early readers, as um, confident readers and the way that we are working to do that now is we have actually developed in partnership with our uh, community partner, Higher Expectations, a homegrown data dashboard, which is kind of unheard of in, in education. We usually rely on, uh, you know, other things, Qualtrics or Power BI and things like that. But we have developed our own dashboard for early literacy data that we have implemented this year. But the goal is really to get our students, especially, you know, you think our second graders have had very little school experience in the past couple of years. They had a whole year of virtual schooling. They had um, months where we didn't know what we were going to do. Um, we sent packets home, but we were, the world shut down. So, um, you know, they've had a lot of disruption in their education so far. So um, we're trying to bring some consistency to it. And part of that is having our teachers really focus on certain standards and certain assessments in order to measure all of our students in the same way to be able to really see how are we doing? What's the pulse on this monthly? Let's not wait for, you know, some standardized test that's going to happen in April. We want to know now how our students are doing and um, how we can help them with things like intervention or referrals to special education if necessary. If you like this topic, please check out Lean Six Sigma for Good, Lessons from the Gemba. Volume 1 is released and available through Amazon. We will soon have an audible version coming out early 2020, and we're working on Volume 2 as we speak. Volume 1 has eight chapters written by different authors who share their experiences applying Lean and Six Sigma to not-for-profit organizations. What about data? Um, how prevalent is it in K-12? Very, I will say, oh. so, but what I say, um, so I just said this um, recently to some friends and partners, we are data rich and information poor, yes, but I like to say impact poor. We have a lot of data and we don't gather it. We don't look at it. We don't analyze it. We don't systematize it. And that allows for a huge gap in impact. So taking that data and doing something with it are actually two different skill sets. So in, unless you have both, you're not going to see results from ultimately what you, what you hope to do with the data. Well, that's good. I think that's um, a little further along, but at least you don't have to get over that initial hurdle trying to get some data, but yeah, yeah. doing something with it. I think that is definitely a, a key thing. And I, I run across that too is, yeah, we, well, we collect this all, it's going into a database and it's like, okay, well, let's, let's look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and what are we I'll doing add, with it? <laughs> for sure. And I'll add, there are some data gaps as well. I mean, you know, recently I can give the example that um, we looked at one of the indicators for our graduation rate success. And we said, well, we need, you know, well, what do they need to graduate, right? They need to complete credits. Well, do we look at the, at the tracking of credit completion starting when they're freshmen? You know, and then there's crickets. <laughs> 
So, so yeah, I mean, there are some systems and some data pieces that we still need to um, implement in a lot of cases, but um, for the most part, we have a lot of data. We have, we know behavior incidents. We know the attendance rates, um, but you know, it's taking, and, and by the way, attendance rates have also been a huge challenge for education um, since COVID as well. And so you've got competing priorities with, um, well, I need to be out for so many days, right? That was our last year challenge. Well, we told them 10 days, you need to quarantine or be out for 10 days. We kind of shortened that to five eventually, but still those are, those are going to be absences where our students are not in school learning. So um, it's really impacting. They say uh, anything after 10 days has a huge impact on uh, students' achievement scores. So um, that's part of the reason why the state says, you know, you're truant after 10 days of absences um, as well. But um, we know the attendance data. Uh, it's being tracked all the time, but what are we doing with that? How are we changing our approach in order to make sure that students are in school? And sometimes it's just that PR campaign, right? They think, oh, it's just kindergarten. They don't need to come. <laughs> and we're like, no, you, you're teaching school. You're teaching how to school in kindergarten. You're, that's your very early experiences with what it means to go to school, which is what gonna, is going to translate to what it means to be in a job or in the workforce eventually. So if you want to train your, your student that, oh, you can miss, it's fine. That, that might linger on for a lot longer than you want it to. So, um, you know, it's that PR campaign that says, parents, we need your students here so that they can learn, so that they can read, so that they can, um, you know, be in collaboration with their peers and work on those um, social emotional um, indicators as well as their academic indicators. Any other improvement projects you've been working on so far or what are some key areas that the district is going to be focused on going forward for improvement? Yeah, so one uh, Kaizen that I have done so far here at Racine Unified is was around high school scheduling. We had some really great results with that. Um, so high school scheduling used to happen very, very, very close to the beginning of the academic year. So most schedules were getting finalized in August, maybe, um, maybe July if you had an experienced scheduler, but um, it was not in really enough time to be able to have a very proactive way of being able to deal with things like schedule changes. Um, or room changes or things like, or teacher changes, um, staff changes. So um, we got real proactive. And after the Kaizen, we learned that we need to make sure that schedules are to students or in students' hands, meaning that they are finalized much earlier in the, in the process. So uh, this year we had a date of May 1st as our uh, goal date, and we missed it by just a little bit, but students did have schedules in hand by June 1st, which was still before the end of the school year, which moved up that timeline two or three months in most cases, and uh, now have allowed us to be able to not be so hectic these first few weeks of school in terms of making all the uh, scheduling changes that we needed to, because we've had all summer now to be able to kind of troubleshoot and um, make sure that the schedules are more proactively ready for students when they um, actually step foot through the door in fall. So how can 
how were you able to do a Kaizen event? Was it at off hours or were you able, how were you able to pull the teachers in if that was part of the effort? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So uh, we did it during the summer because it, it, has been a challenge to find substitutes during the school year as well. Um, so we, another educational challenge or industry that I'm sure anyone listening in that industry right now is also nodding their head and going, yep, yep. Um, so we uh, did do the summer and we paid any employee who was not a 52 week or 50 week employee who essentially wasn't already being paid to be there. Um, we did pay them a stipend um, for that participation for that time. So we had teacher participation, counselor participation, which counselors are usually also not um, in school at that time. Some are, but most aren't. Um, so yes, they were paid for that time. And um, we pulled a cross-functional team, which of course is so important when you're doing a Kaizen event, being really intentional about who you're pulling in and why they're there and making making sure that that's clear um, once you get the event going. Another output of that event was a beautiful new high school course guide, which I'm really excited for. It really is one of you know, since we had to pull many examples, um, one of the leading course guides in the in the state, if not uh, the region, for being able to show a trajectory of coursework for our academy pathways. So Racine is unique as far as being the largest school district in the state of Wisconsin with academy high schools. And we're very proud of that work. And we were just recognized as a model um, institution for our academies. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that we um, did this because we also got a chance to showcase how those pathways would look on a four-year plan for our students. So any student considering doing the engineering pathway now gets to see, oh, this is the course I'm going to take in my freshman year and what I'm going to do in my sophomore year, junior year, and senior year, which seems like it should be self-explanatory and have already been a thing, but we actually had not created those until we had this Kaizen event and got everyone together and said, we need to map this out for ourselves, but also for our students. So that was another really great output that we saw from this event. Yeah. And I think that just goes to kind of reiterate that it, these are difficult to put together. I mean, you're talking about trying to coordinate it in summer bring people in, you know, during their holidays and their break, maybe mm -hmm. even coming up with funds to support that and then tying people up for multiple days at a time. Um, but once they you can get over that hurdle, then they see, all right, that was a lot of work. That was a lot of inconvenience perhaps, and maybe additional costs, but look at the results we got and how much further along and how quickly we can get through some of these problems that would have taken months or years or never gotten done. And so I think that's the, to, to your point, I think once they've gone through that experience, they realize, wow, that was totally worth it, even though I was hesitant and resistant at first. That was definitely one of the lessons learned. Um, it's usually always a lessons learned that we do after a, a rapid improvement or Kaizen event. Um, going, I, I capture the ideas coming in and people say all the things that you just said, Brian. Um, they say, you know, oh my gosh, this is such a huge time commitment. Um, I don't know how I'm going to get the rest of my work done. Um, but when you get everyone in a room, 
there's some weird magic that happens. And I don't, I can't take credit for it, certainly, because it have I've seen it happen in other rooms, rooms that I'm not in. So it's some kind of magical formula that um, given the right environment, people end up, you know, really opening doors up that they never thought they would. And, you know, we, we noticed with the high school scheduling that it was bottlenecking at a place that it didn't need to bottleneck at. We were holding the pro- whole process hostage on this other arbitrary process that actually didn't matter um, in terms of when we were starting to schedule or when we opened it up to students. So, um, you know, it, it was it would not have happened if we didn't have any everybody in the room at that time. And the other pieces is that you know people in the room are also representative, and I try to tell that to people as much as I can that. I wish we could have all 1,500 of our employees here with us, but I can't. Um, So when you're here, you know, I want you to talk to your colleagues. I, you know, if you go home after day one and you say, I wonder what everyone else thinks about that, please pull your teams, pull your friends, um, because this, you're representing a voice right now that is larger than technically just your own. And we want to know what the teacher, what this looks like from the teacher experience or from the counselor experience or from the principal experience. So it's very important to reinforce and also give people that um, permission to, to say, hey, you know, you want to think about this from a, from a big holistic perspective too. Yeah, I think that's really important point to make is that they are representing their department or their team or their, you know, other people in their roles that it's not just, well, I think this, but no, you're a voice for all the principals or all the teachers, you know, so you have to go back and get some of that feedback and say, this is what we were talking about. This is what we were discussing you know, are, does this sound right? Is that the direction we want to go? And um, so, yeah, but uh, you're almost starting to build some of the change management into that as well by saying, hey, I'm, I'm seeking your input so that when we come back and say, all right, this is what we're going to go do. This isn't the first time you've heard it. And you and we try to give you some in, a voice to this process a little bit, even though you couldn't necessarily be there in the event. Um, so yeah, I think that's really I- important. And I would say that we also did survey data as well to yes. try to get that that input proactively on the front end. But, you know, sometimes there's things that are changing rapidly during a rapid improvement event. And so, um, you know, it's you know, things that we didn't get a chance to ask on the survey, right? Because that right. didn't come up yet. So we didn't anticipate that. So, um, so getting kind of having a mechanism for which to get that um, timely feedback is really important. And, and, you know, luckily we, we did experience that really, really clearly when we met, uh, and did a Kaizen in February of this year on the calendar. Um, and we had teachers union members specifically picked to be a part of the event so that they could take back from what we were doing during the four days, um, to their, their membership and really talk about it and make sure that we were moving it forward in the right direction 
for that project for the calendar when it was proposed to the board, it received unanimous board approval. And that's with sweeping changes being made, such as changes to start and end times, which they couldn't pass through the board for years prior. Changes like our entire professional learning system was, um, or professional development, some might recognize it as, was uh, kind of upended and we went to more of a voice and choice model. Things like um, having our teachers with dedicated time during, during the year that they could choose whether or not they work in their classroom, whether or not they grade, or whether they um, participate in those professional learning events. That, that was, those are all huge changes that we made, but all by looking together at the calendar and having so many different voices at the table, but ready for providing that feedback from different um, stakeholder groups, such as teachers. And we hope to also bring students into this more and more. I continue to press that, you know, yes, our customers are teachers. Yes, our customers are our uh, parents, families, and community. But how often do we gauge the voice of our students? And that is going to be my next big push as I continue this work is how often are we asking for student feedback? And I try to plant those seeds as much as I can and as often as I can. Uh, I'm developing a continuous improvement advisory council, which will meet quarterly. And our goal will be to vet projects and project ideas that come in. And we will have student membership on that advisory council, as, long, as well as parents, as, long, as well as uh, teachers, uh, and many other staff members from different departments, but making sure that all are represented on the team because what people feel needs to be changed, we need to make sure that we're asking the right people about that as well. Um, I'm sure our students have a whole slew of ideas about how we could do things differently and better, but that's an untapped resource that we haven't even begun to explore yet. So I'm hopeful that we will in the next year have a whole um, litany of things that we need to just do or um, schedule as Kaizans or have as institutional projects or reviews. Well, that made me think too about how do we get Lean Six Sigma training into the K-12 system? Because um, I feel like these are not business skills. These are life skills. Um, this, these are applicable everywhere. Um, no matter what they end up doing, they'll find uses for process improvement everywhere they go. Um, you know, do you see opportunity there, I guess, to embed it into existing courses or have a separate course or some way to get at least some basic problem solving skills uh, at the K-12 level? Brian, you hit the nail on the head again. <laughs> um, so, PDSA or PDCA is uh, a system that we are currently using for classroom continuous improvement. So what we are working to build now, our, our teachers need an understanding of it and training on it first as our first layer. Um, but then we are going to cascade that layer down to our students. And our goal is to right now, we have started the planning for working with our SEL or social emotional learning team, um, because they are always focusing on things like grit and perseverance and self-regulation. 
and working with them to say, how can we infuse continuous improvement into that? And our PDCA cycle um, could be something that the students could learn from as well. Something like cleaning their rooms, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a parent too. So I'm like, gosh, that is just such a struggle. How can we maybe take some, a problem like that, right? A life problem and make a, build a curriculum around it for our students to be able to um, get that information during SEL time or, and in collaboration with the SEL work that they already do. Uh, And one other um, opportunity is through our academy high schools, we have manufacturing pathways. So an easy win for me is working, I'm now trying to partner with Gateway Technical College, which we already do partner with for so many of our courses and transcripted credit offerings um, to offer 5S certification for our manufacturing pathway. And it could obviously work with other pathways as well um, that are identified. So I actually have a meeting on that tomorrow. So fingers crossed that that all goes (laughs) through and that we, yes, um, transition this learning to our students as well. And I find that helpful just even with, you know, professionals going back to their own personal lives and saying, why don't we practice at home? Let's apply some of these methods to your personal life and how you make dinner and how you do chores and and do you run out of toilet paper a lot (laughs) (laughs) how can we mean this (laughs) why do you have so much toilet paper (laughs) all those things yes Uh, but so yeah I think that's uh that's great to kind of see the opportunities there and give them that that skill and I'd love to see it as a class someday you know that they get a yellow belt or something like that in high school um, to kind of get their learning started down this continuous improvement path. So give me a few years, Brian, I'll get it done. All right. You let me know exactly what happens because, um, yeah, I I think that'd be really cool. Me too. Anything else you wanted to share? You gave us a lot of great information and it's pretty exciting what's going on there. Um, another thing might be just, what would you tell somebody who's working in education, working on the administrative side, perhaps, how can they try to get started with putting in a program like this? Uh, They may not have Casey there to lead the way, but what can they do to kind of move it in the right direction? Yeah, no, I, that's such a great question. And I was thinking about it because I knew it was on the agenda. I, um, I think my lessons learned so far, especially in K-12 education, um, really just education though, in general, um, I see it at the post-secondary level as well calling it something different is sometimes scary for people in and of itself. They think, oh, it's, it's, oh yeah, it's that lean stuff. Only they do it over there. And making others feel as though it is their job to improve and change and, um, you know, is, is hard. And that's why I said it's, I like, I feel like most days I'm just trying to do a lot of people work and changing people's hearts and minds. And in order to do that, I ask a lot of questions. Um, I always say like I, some days I feel more like a detective than I do a a director of continuous improvement. Um, The questions that are asked are usually ones that don't offer a yes or no answer. (laughs) And um, thought provoking are is always helpful. So to have someone be able to sit in a room and feel good about being able to question why things are the way that they are, 
um, it's, it, it's weird that it's like a skill um, mm-hmm. because not everybody kind of goes into meetings and thinks, well, I'm going to ask, you know, why we do this, you know? And so uh, it, it, it is a special vision that someone has to have about, okay, yep, I understand that now, but why? And, and asking other things like, have we considered that's, that's one of my, (laughs) that's one of my favorites too, dot, dot, dot. Um, Have we considered dot, 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 because there are other ways maybe to do something, but that we haven't either explored or thought about before which um, in an industry like education, where you've seen desks in rows for years and years and years, and we want to teach how we were taught, um, it goes against the grain of, you know, sometimes what you do every day. And to think about, well, oh, we have to do things differently. I, I don't, I'm not going to teach my students how I was taught in school. I'm going to teach them how they learn best, which you know, we can refer to lots of, um, you know, current events and current things that will support that. But um, being able to, to make that actually happen is takes a lot of patience, a lot of time and a lot of questioning. So I try to give grace, but still pushing and, and making sure, even if it's a little push that we, we do that push because not because we, we want to disrupt necessarily, but it's because we want to be better and we know we can be better and not letting good be the enemy of great. Mm. Uh, all those things. Um, although I'm all about disruption too, but you can disrupt to a point of, um, where people don't, don't want to do it and right. they, and they rebel against it. And, um, we, I've definitely seen that in my time in education where, um, you, you have the flavor of the week. Oh, this'll be gone in a year. We, uh, oh yeah, that was just her. She just wanted to do that, you know, and, <laughs> and it's, it's really making, you know, it's that one person It was just KC. Right. So, it, instead of late branding it as my thing, this is not my thing. This is our thing. And, you know, you know, how we do that is making sure that people can see at their level, wherever they're at, meet them where they are at and say, Hey, I know you've been, I noticed you've been mowing the lawn like this. Um, and I see that that looks great. Have you ever considered? (laughs) (laughs) And so, and then meets our custodians where they're at and, you know, you have your teachers, have you considered arranging the desks and group, you know, whatever that looks like it's how can we infuse continuous improvement ideas without really calling it that like, right. Without, Mm -hmm. without making it seem like some other thing. And, and not just something that they should do as a part of what they do every day. Mm-hmm. Very cool. That was a really long answer. No, no, that's, <laughs> that's really good. I think, um, I think that's what every organization, you know, kind of needs is not something they can point to and I guess resist or justify it away as something not related to them. And I think the more kind of subtle and seamless it is that it can be integrated into what they're already doing. And and then I think when when I have discussions one-on-one with people, it's like, it doesn't take long to get on the same page and say, yeah, we want things to be better. And I think everyone wants things to be better. Some people get frustrated and they just kind of given up because they don't see a pathway and they just kind of say, I'm just going to, 
you know, do my thing and I've given up on that or I've been, I've tried in the past and I got stuck and I just, I don't want to do that anymore. It's frustrating. Um, yeah. Or I, I said, didn't like that. Yeah. Or it got forced onto me or I didn't give a, a, get a voice in that process and now I got to live with it. And so yes, huge. I think to get to a point where we can pull people in directly with, you know, the challenges they're dealing with and the frustration they have and try to help them fix that without making it a big program. I think that's, that's really cool. That's the goal. Anything else you wanted to share? No, other than to say thank you so much to you, Brian. I really appreciate it. And, um, and thank you to Casey. I'm going to send this to her and I know she's listening, but, um, you know, she was the first person who really looked at me and said, you're, you're really good at this. And I think that you should continue doing this and, um, just giving me so many different opportunities through the work that she did. So I'm grateful for her. And if you don't have a mentor, go find one because they're really great. (laughs) Yeah. She sounds pretty great. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have some new updates in the future, we'll uh, stay in touch and I'll bring you back. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian. Okay. Thanks for your time. Bye. Are you interested in learning more about Lean and Six Sigma? Or are you looking to expand your existing skills to apply them to environmental impacts at your work or in the local community? Check out our free online course called Lean Six Sigma and the Environment on thinkific.com. We'll teach you about the Lean Forms of Waste and Waste Walks, which stands for Water, Air Emissions, Solid Waste, Toxins, and Energy. We'll go over examples of reducing electricity and solid waste, teach you how to involve your facilities and environment safety and health personnel. We'll provide guidance on how to green your 5S and Lean Kaizen events and many other tools specific to finding environmental opportunities. Learn more at LeanSixSigmaEnvironment.org.